Hello and welcome to another episode of What the Bible Says. We are a group of people who are trying to find answers to modern day questions about how we should live our lives. And we find those answers by only using the Bible. This podcast is not supported by any congregation or denomination in any way. However, if you do enjoy the podcast, we do ask one thing from you. Please send this episode to someone you think would enjoy it. Or perhaps take a screenshot of your phone right now and post a picture of this episode to put on your social media. And lastly, please get on our website and send us a question that you have about an episode or a topic that you want us to cover. The goal of this podcast is to answer questions from listeners like you. Now let's search together what the Bible says. Welcome. I'm happy to have another opportunity to study with you in this series of lessons on how to read and understand the scriptures. In this lesson, we want to look at how to read and understand the New Testament. We want to have a proper uh, method of approaching our Bible study in order that we might gain the true meaning of the text and be able to make application in our life. So how do we read the New Testament and what kind of questions should we ask as we're reading in order that we understand the text in its context and that we're making proper application for how we're to walk and please God today. In thinking about the New Testament, as we've seen in previous lessons, it is the final revelation that God has given to man. It is the standard or law of Christ that every person is accountable to and that every Christian ought to be living by. And it's so important that we abide in the teaching of Christ and show ourselves to be true disciples of Christ. When we use the term uh, New Testament, of course, it is showing us that there was a former testament or covenant, the old covenant. That covenant, as we've studied in previous lessons, had to do with the covenant made at Mount Sinai with the nation of Israel, and it applied to that physical nation. Its purpose was fulfilled in Jesus Christ and him bringing in the new covenant. When Jesus died on the cross, he nailed that old covenant to the cross. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles. They were guided into all of the truth, and they revealed for us the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. And that is the new covenant, the new kind of covenant. It's new in its nature. It's new in relationship to uh, replacing the old. And it's a new contract. Diatheke is the word for covenant in the Greek language that is used in these texts. It means a testament, a will. Uh, the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 9 actually uses the idea of a will in describing the New Testament, that there's no will or testament that goes into effect until the testator, the person making the will, dies. And then that covenant goes into effect. And the New Testament it works just that way. We're under the terms of the New Testament as far as our plan of salvation and our law 
after the death of Christ, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Then it was announced on the day of Pentecost in 30 AD, and people began to be living under the reign of Christ. And uh, the last will and testament that he had revealed through his apostles and prophets. The idea of uh, diatheke is a compact, an arrangement, a bond of friendship, a dispensation. So we're talking about a new system of religion that has been brought into effect. Diatheke has to do not with a covenant between equal parties, but is the type of covenant in which one person is dictating the terms and the other person either accepts them or rejects them. So Jesus Christ sets the terms of his religion. He's the head of the church. He is the king of the kingdom. He's the head of the body. And he is the one who dictates the terms of the New Testament. So it needs to be understood that this is an authoritative doctrine that we need to comply with. And it is the final covenant. There's not coming another covenant after this one. We're living in the last age of the world. This uh, system is going to end when Christ comes back from heaven and this uh, world is destroyed by fire. And then there'll be uh, a judgment day and we'll dwell in a new heaven and a new earth, a new system or order of things. Uh, in eternity. So um, this period of the reign of Christ in the New Testament continues up until the end of time. And it has been once for all delivered to the saints, we're told in the book of Jude. This system, this faith, and all authority has been given to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came up to the apostles after his resurrection in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18 and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So Jesus Christ, when he sets forth the terms of the covenant, is speaking with the authority of God. Jesus Christ selected his twelve apostles and to them was given the power to bind and loose. And it was through... Uh, the apostles that Jesus expressed his will. Jesus is the head of this covenant. We're told in Hebrews 1 and verses 1 and 2, God, after he had spoken long ago in the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So Jesus Christ has all authority. And then he picked his 12 apostles and he delegated authority uh, to bind and loose the terms of the New Testament to them. They uh, didn't make up the rules. They simply uh, spoke what Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, inspired them to speak. They only bound those things that had already been bound in heaven and revealed them to us. They only loosed those things that Jesus Christ had determined were going to be loosed by God's will as far as commandments to be followed. So binding and loosing authority is given to the apostles. They are the ambassadors of Christ, as Paul describes himself in uh, the book of 2 Corinthians. They are spokesmen, like the prophets, that are mouthpieces for Jesus Christ, that are revealing his will. In Matthew 16 uh, and verse 19, Peter was going to be given the keys of the kingdom of heaven, the terms of entry 
into this new plan of salvation and the enjoyment of the blessings of the new covenant. And he, whatever he should bind on earth shall have already bound, should have been bound in heaven. Whatever he shall loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. In chapter 18 and verse 18 of Matthew, Jesus says the same thing to all 12 apostles. They have uh, the authority to bind uh, what we ought to do and to loose uh, maybe things in the old covenant that had to do with that covenant that we don't have to do uh, any longer as matters of religious law. And in John chapter 13 and verse 20, uh, if people receive the apostles, they receive Jesus. If you receive Jesus, you receive the Father. So you can see that this message is really God's message that's found in the New Testament. He planned it in eternity. He sent Christ to fulfill it and execute it. The apostles uh, are Christ's instruments to reveal it. And then we are those that ought certainly to practice this. We're told in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 6, if anyone um, doesn't listen to the apostles, then that is a clear indication that they are following the spirit of error. Those who listen to the apostles as they deliver Christ's last will and testament are those that are the faithful. So we want to be sure that we recognize when we read the New Testament, we're reading the last will and testament of Christ and that Jesus Christ has committed his word to his apostles. In John 17, 8, in Jesus' uh, prayer that was offered before uh, he went to Gethsemane and to his death, he was praying to the Father and he said, For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them and truly understand that I came forth from you, and they believe that you did send me. So Jesus took the words of God that had been given to him, and he gave them to the apostles. And they wrote those things down in our New Testament. We have these 27 books of the New Testament inspired by the Holy Spirit by men who were guided into all the truth. All of the books are written by apostles or men on whom the apostles laid their hands that received the gift of inspiration so that their words and their letters are scripture, that they are inspired writings that uh, have the authority of Christ behind them. In 2 Timothy 3 and verses 15 and 16, and regarding the patience of our Lord to be salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which, you, in, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. I want you to notice in that verse that Peter recognized Paul's letter as scripture. Uh, inspired writings that should be followed. They have in them some deep things. We need to be careful when we read them so that we don't distort the things that are written in the scriptures. So we have to pay careful attention to our interpretation and recognize some things are difficult to understand. It's going to take effort and time uh, in order to understand them properly and make proper application. The apostles' words are the commands of Christ. They're equal to anything that Jesus said uh, personally himself during his ministry because they were guided by the Holy Spirit to speak the commands of Christ 
Jesus has, was disclosing to them his doctrine. And so when you read what Paul says, it's absolutely equal to anything. If you have a Bible where all the letters of Christ are written in red, well, anything written by Paul is also to be considered the very words of Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 37, If anyone thinks he is a prophet or a spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's command. The Lord's commandment. So the Apostle Paul, when he wrote, he wrote by inspiration. He wrote scripture and he wrote the words of Christ. And he shows us the terms of the last will and testament of Christ. The same thing is true of all the New Testament books that we have. They are inspired scripture. There are some basic questions. If we want to have a proper method of interpreting the New Testament, we want to read it and be able to understand it correctly, be able to apply it in the proper way, we need to ask who is speaking in a particular passage. You know, there are some passages the Bible is recording the words of somebody that is not inspired. So you have to ask yourself, is this an inspired person that is speaking? Because when they speak, those words are binding. Uh, is it somebody that's not inspired? Just a person, uh, you know, making a comment. You have to ask the question, who is spoken to? Not all of the uh, uh, things that are recorded in the New Testament are to be applied by every individual Christian. Not every promise that is given applies to each Christian. Some things were spoken to the apostles and applied only to them. Some things were spoken to people in a local church uh, that couldn't possibly be applied in this modern day in which we live. When was it spoken? We have to properly uh, divide the word of God. We have to understand what covenant some comment is made under. Uh, when you look, for instance, at the life of Christ, Jesus was born under the law. He lived, his whole ministry was under the law. He nailed that old covenant to the law on the cross, we're told in Colossians. So the apostle, uh, or the Lord Jesus Christ, when he spoke, many times he gave direction to people living under the law of Moses uh, what they needed to do under that covenant. And it wouldn't be applicable for us today. So we have to say, when was it spoken? Under what circumstances was it spoken? If we're going to have a proper interpretation of what we need to do in order to be saved. Was it under the law of Moses or under the New Testament? The New Testament law was made known and revealed in Acts chapter 2. So after Acts chapter 2, you have uh, the law of Christ being revealed. Jesus' earthly ministry, as we mentioned, was under the law of Moses, but he came, like John the Baptist, to prepare for the new age. So there are many things that Jesus said where he's setting forth principles in his teaching, like the Sermon on the Mount, in which he is showing what kinds of attitudes, uh, what kind of strictness of practice uh, that we need to have if we're going to be pleasing in the kingdom when it is set up. So many things that Jesus said certainly have application for the church. Uh, but at the same time, there are other things where he's speaking to people, and it has only to do with that period of time during Jesus' ministry. Uh, the rich young ruler was told what to do to be safe was to keep the law, keep the commandments. 
Well, that wouldn't be what we would have after the day of Pentecost when we're under the New Testament. We would be told what Peter told people to do on the day of Pentecost, to repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins and to continue in the apostles' doctrine. Uh, so we have to be careful and ask questions as we're reading. Reveal things about the kingdom were there in the life of Christ, in his parables and so on. But uh, we have to ask the question, is this applying to the law of Moses or is this applying to the new covenant age? Jesus spoke sometimes to the apostles alone. He gave a long sermon that's recorded in the book of John in chapter 13 through uh, chapter 17. He's speaking to his apostles about the coming of the Holy Spirit and about the powers that they're going to receive from the Holy Spirit. And he gives them certain promises that are going to come to them. Well, those things applied to the apostles. They had a special role to play in God's plan of salvation in revealing the gospel to us. We can't read the promises given to the apostles that had to do exclusively with miraculous things and think that that applies to every Christian. So we have to look at the context always in which things are given. Was the one that's being spoken of under the gospel, right? Is that person uh, subject to the last will and testament of Christ? Or was it somebody that lived before that time? The thief on the cross lived and died under the law of Moses. You wouldn't look to him to see what it is that we need to do today in order to obey the gospel. We would need to look at those examples in the book of Acts and the words that are revealed to us in the letters of Paul and the other New Testament writers to find out what it is a Christian is to do. That's an important question to ask as well. When we read something under the New Covenant, is it a, a, a command that's addressed to Christians about what to do to be saved? You know, Christians are told to repent and pray when they get involved in sin. That's how we receive forgiveness of sins. An alien sinner, on the other hand, is told to hear the gospel, believe the gospel, repent, confess, be baptized. Uh, that's not addressed to a Christian. That's addressed to someone that's not yet a Christian. So in all things that we study, we need to be careful to make up a proper application of what we studied. There are some commandments that are given in the letters of Paul and others that have to do with miraculous gifts and the exercise of those miraculous gifts. Those miraculous gifts ended when the New Testament was fully revealed. They were uh, given for a temporary period of time. So those commandments and those uh, things don't apply to the church today. We have the full revelation of truth, the perfect revelation. When the perfect came, the partial gifts and revelation was to be done away with. So we might get principles about how we should do things decently and in order when we're studying something like 1 Corinthians chapter 14, when we're conducting our worship service. But there are a number of things that are stated there that we can't make application of because they have to do with that limited period of time in the beginning of the church when the revelation was being delivered to the church. Some of the commands that we read in the Bible are written to individuals, 
that they were to carry out that couldn't possibly be applied to us. Uh, Timothy was to go and get uh, the books and the parchments that Paul had left and bring them to him. Well, that's written to Timothy. That's not written to us. When we look at a passage in the New Testament, we have to first ask on every occasion, what did the writer intend um, to mean by this commandment? How was it meant to be taken by the people that originally received it, the church that originally received it, or the individual that received that commandment? Once we understand what was delivered and to be understood by them, then we might be able to draw principles from that that would be applicable to the church today or to individuals today. But first you have to understand the scripture in its context. You don't read a passage and say, well, what does this mean to me? No, it wasn't written to you originally. You have to say, what did it mean to these people first? And then what can I draw from it for me or for the church today? So always we have to look at the context when we're interpreting any document, any legal paper today, uh, any book that you would read written by some secular writer. You have to take their comments and try to understand what their original intent was. What were they trying to communicate? What does this sentence mean in context with all the sentences that surround it and with the overall paragraph? and with the overall theme of the chapter in the book that you're studying. Well, the same principles of interpretation have to be applied to the New Testament when we read it. What did this uh, verse mean in its context in this paragraph? What is the writer talking about? What is the book about? What is the New Testament about? And make sure that we apply everything uh, in its proper way. The New Testament for Christians is a pattern, a standard by which we are to conduct ourselves in the local church and also in our individual lives in order to walk in a way that pleases God. So the New Testament, as you're studying it, should be studied as the standard of faith and practice, the rule of faith. We must hold to the standard, the pattern of sound words, words that came from, from uh, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, guiding the apostles and prophets of the New Testament. And they were written down for us. In Colossians 3.17, Paul says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, uh, we should receive this word uh, in the New Testament as the word of God. We need to recognize that it's a pattern, a standard of truth that we need to try to understand and make application of. In 2 Timothy 1 and verse 13, Timothy was told, Retain the standard of sound words, which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So we have an obligation to stick to that pattern, hold to the pattern of the words and uh, the form of the faith, the doctrine, uh, the practice that they had. Uh, in the New Testament revealed by the apostles. In Second John 1 and verse 9, John said, Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. So it is essential that we abide within that doctrine. We're told that it is sinful if we go beyond what the scriptures ha have revealed as doctrine. 
We can't add on our own doctrines that we want to teach. We have to stay within the bounds of what we read in the New Testament. So we should read carefully and make careful search and inquiry into what the pattern is for each type of behavior and practice that we're going to be involved in religiously. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 16 and 17, Paul said to the Corinthians, Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason I have sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Do you see, they had to stick to the pattern that was given to them. So when we read the scriptures, we're looking for that pattern. And we want to put all of that truth together. Paul said he taught exactly the same doctrine in every church, to every individual. And what the apostles taught was guided by the same Holy Spirit. They all taught the same doctrine. So if we want to understand the truth about baptism, for instance... We read everything that the apostles had to say about baptism, and then we are able to see the pattern about what its purpose was, what its mode was, what its design is all about. And then we should stick to that pattern. We want to understand the organization of the church. Read what each of the letters of the New Testament, what we have in the book of Acts and so on, about uh, the local church and how it was governed, and when we put that whole pattern together, all that's revealed on it, then we understand the standard, and we should stick to that standard of government. So scriptural authority is something that we're looking for as Christians to be sure that in all things we're acting in the name of the Lord. We're to do all in the name of the Lord. By his authority we should act. We don't act outside the authority of the Lord. We don't go beyond what the Word says. We stay within the doctrine of Christ and abide. So read the Scriptures with that attitude in mind when you approach the New Testament. The Scriptures are a perfect and complete guide for religion. We need nothing else. We're told in 2 Peter 1 and verse 3, the apostles were guided uh, into everything that pertains to life and godliness. When it comes to spiritual life, and having the proper attitude of religion, godliness, everything has been revealed for us in the New Testament. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, these inspired scriptures, they tell us uh, what to teach and to practice, how to reprove, how to correct. They make the man of God adequate, equipped for every good work. So everything that we need to be doing that God has designed for Christians to walk in is found in the New Testament. We are to approach it with an attitude of strict constructionism when we're studying the scriptures. You know, when people talk about the Constitution, uh, they, they had the idea of, you know, a loose interpretation where if it didn't forbid something, then you could do it. Others understood that the Constitution should be uh, interpreted with strict construction that the government can only do what the Bible or what the Constitution authorized them to do. Well, it's strict construction that we're to use with the New Testament. We're to do only those things that are authorized by the Lord and not go beyond them. We're given many warnings, like Revelation 22:18, that we're not to add to or to take away from the uh, 
uh, words of the book of this prophecy. We're forbidden to subtract anything from it. We're to try to gain all of the facts if we want to know the truth. The inductive method of interpretation is what is set forth in the New Testament. That is, you gather together all of the facts, all of the commandments and examples that we have in the New Testament, and then from that uh, information, you're able to deduct what your practices ought to be. So first you have to induct all the facts. Then you can draw away what the practice is. So we want to find all uh, that the Bible says, the New Testament teaches on any doctrine. We base our conclusions on those facts. To live is to live by every word from the mouth of God. Jesus said that that is... uh, we should not desire the earthly bread first, but man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He didn't say some of the words. He said every word. So we want to put together the whole truth. When Christ revealed uh, the truth about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, he opened the apostles' minds by reasoning with them from all of the scriptures, not some of the scriptures, all of the scriptures, the law and the Psalms and the prophets. Well, in the New Testament, we adopt that same method to please God. When we're studying about the work of the church, let's look at all the passages on the work of the church and decide what it is that the church should be engaged in. If we're looking at the worship of the church, let's look at all of the passages that have to do with New Testament worship. And then let's abide by it, not add to it or take away from it in our practice. The sum of God's word is truth, we're told in Psalms 119 and verse 160. We don't take a few passages and decide that's the doctrine. No, we take all of the passages as we're reading and apply it, and then we'll have the truth. We must read to get the facts. How many times did Jesus say, you're ignorant not knowing the scriptures, but that we need to hear We need to read. We need to um, show all diligence to show ourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. So the truth always harmonizes with the truth. So we need to get all of the facts and recognize they don't contradict each other and interpret passages by other passages to help us to get to the true practice. When reading the New Testament and establishing authority for the things we do, there are three basic ways that we establish authority. This is true in everyday life. It's true throughout the Bible. One can find out that something is authorized when you go to work somewhere if you get a direct statement that this is what you should do. The New Testament speaks to us the same way. It speaks with direct commands and statements where we know absolutely that's what we should do or not do. We also have approved examples. If you're at work somewhere, someone can train you on a job and say that uh, you should do what John does. As he's been working here a long time and he knows our ways and you follow him. The same way in the New Testament, the apostles are guided by the Holy Spirit. They were working with the church. So anything that that approved example of an apostle working with the church did, we know is a proper and right thing for the church to be doing and for us to be doing today. In 1 Corinthians 4, verses 16 and 17, Paul said, I exhort you, therefore, be imitators of me, 
For this reason I have sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. So again, follow Paul's ways as well as his teaching. Watch his example. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9, Paul said to the Philippians, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Well, we know we want God to be with us. And if we want him to be with us, then let's follow everything Paul taught and the other apostles. And let's follow all the things that they did and follow their examples as well and recognize those as sources of authority. Another form of authority is a necessary a conclusion where something is stated and there's just one conclusion you can reach about how that thing should be practiced. And, of course, that applies in the New Testament as well. We have examples of necessary uh, inference uh, as a matter of authority. So let's take a quick look at the Lord's Supper as an example of how to apply the Word of God in the New Testament when we read. In the Lord's Supper, we receive a commandment to do the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 25, Paul delivered what he received from the Lord when he said, Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So we know we're supposed to take the Lord's Supper, that that should be a practice in our worship uh, if we're following the New Testament pattern. When is it that we are to take the Lord's Supper? As we read our New Testament, we begin to read examples. What was the example of when the New Testament church took the Lord's Supper? That's found in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, and on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread. That is speaking about the breaking of the bread of the Lord's Supper. So we know that it's proper and right for the church to take the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. They didn't take it over the days of the week. Their practice was to take it on the first day of the week. Necessary conclusion or necessary inference comes in when we ask, well, how often should we take the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week? Well, the first day of the week comes every week. When something is to be practiced weekly, you name the day of the week when it's done. If I said we get paid on Fridays, we understand by necessary conclusion that we get paid every Friday. When you see that the Lord's Supper is taken on the first day of the week, the first day of the week comes every week. It's a weekly observance. We can see in the early practice of the church shortly after the New Testament was written that that was the practice of New Testament Christians, that that logic is correct. They took it every first day of the week. And that is the proper and right, the safe way that can't be wrong that all of us ought to practice if we're going to stick strictly to the pattern. So we know that every week by necessary inference. Don't you see they did the same thing under the Old Covenant? The Lord commanded them at Mount Sinai, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Well, they kept every Sabbath day holy. That's the necessary conclusion about that. So quickly, some more things about authority and more things about how to read our New Testament and make application of it. Authority, once we establish it through command or example, can either be a general command or a specific command. General commands allow a lot of uh, leeway for you to make decisions yourself. 
the apostles were told to go and make disciples of all the nations. Well, we know they were to go. We know specifically they were to preach the gospel to all the nations. But the command to go is general. There are all kinds of different ways that we might choose to go and preach the gospel. So when the command is specific, it excludes all other ways to do that. When it's general, it includes many options for us. Another principle of authority is that of lawless, uh, a lawful expedient to carry out a command that is given. There are many things that might not be stated in the command itself that are authorized. All things necessary to carry out a command are authorized by that command or within that command. We know if I gave you a command to go out and dig a ditch, that authorizes you to use whatever tools necessary to get that ditch dug, right? And there, you'd have to choose the most expedient way, the most useful, um, non-wasteful way to get that, that ditch dug, right? And uh, the same way in the New Testament when we're given commands uh, to sing. All things that are necessary for us to do singing, you, you might have different pitch for the song. It might have a song leader. You might have different parts that people sing. That's all part of singing. It's concluded within that command to sing. And we want to do it in, in the most efficient and uh, helpful way that we can. Uh, but at the same time, we want to make sure we don't go beyond the things that are written, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 6. We don't want to, to add on to what has been revealed. So the New Testament tells us how to conduct ourselves in the household of God. And we ought to read the New Testament uh, with diligence and with wisdom and asking all of these proper questions. In 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, But in case I am delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Well, I hope that these principles will be useful to you as you read your Bible, that you'll read it uh, honestly and with diligence and with a true desire to understand and practice what it reveals. God bless you and be with you. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions about what was said in this episode or any topics you would like us to cover in the future, please visit our website at whatthebiblesays.co where you can submit your questions or suggestions. There is also a place on our website if you are interested in scheduling a more personal Bible study with one of the Christians in this group. Lord willing, see you next episode.